All right, Ecclesiastes. What is Ecclesiastes? Um, gosh. Ecclesiastes is a book in the Bible. It is in the Old Testament. And it is part of the wisdom literature of the Bible. Um, but Ecclesiastes is very unique. Very unique wisdom literature. Um, all of the wisdom literature in the Bible begins with God and his re revelation. Psalm 1. Who is the blessed man? Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. There's God and revelation right from the beginning of the Psalms. Proverbs 1. What's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. Even in Job, where, where do we begin? In the heavens. In the heavens. And that, that corresponds with the very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It all begins with God and his revelation. Ecclesiastes, however, does not begin with God and revelation. Ecclesiastes begins with man and what he can observe in the world and what he experiences in the world. His perspective, one, one commentator said, his perspective is bound by the horizons of this world. So, whereas all of the Bible, most of the Bible, does theology from above, this does theology from below. And so it's a very unique book in Scripture. And it deals, because it's theology from below, it deals with raw realities of life. It does not walk by the light of revelation. It walks by the light of the eyes. And so, through Ecclesiastes, you are going to be taken on a journey of feelings of insignificance, of apparent meaninglessness in life, and the reality of your certain and impending death. I heard someone say that Ecclesiastes is the only book in the Bible that sounds like it was written on a Monday morning. <laughs> it is very raw in many places. It is about a man, as we follow this journey, who has tried every source of satisfaction and meaning. He has tried the pursuit of happiness and found it wanting. So Ecclesiastes is sort of like the ghost of Christmas future. If you remember Charles Dickens' novel. By the way, Dickens' writing, in, I didn't know people could write that well. But in Dickens' novel, um, and, and the movies, The Ghost of Christmas Future, comes to Scrooge and shows him what would happen if his life persists the way he's been living it. And it shows him forgotten in a grave that no one cares about. Poor guy. <laughs> it is, it is sad. So Ecclesiastes is like the ghost of Christmas future. Um, 
he's he is saying Ecclesiastes basically is communicating to us that a life in search of wealth, women, intellect, success is vanity and emptiness. So here is a man who's climbed the ladder of ultimate success, has been able to peek over the other side of the wall and then come back down and tell us it's all meaningless. It's vanity. It's empty. There's going to be a time when your name's forgotten on earth and all your toil will leave no lasting legacy. Then it snaps its fingers and puts you right back in the church and its conclusion is fear God and keep the commandments for this is the whole duty of man. That's how the book ends. Fear God and keep the commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So it is the ghost of Christmas future in the sense that it takes you through a life of vanity, shows you what that life will amount to, and then puts you right back in the pew and tells you what the real purpose and meaning of life is. This is the perspective of Ecclesiastes and how I'm going to preach it. I believe it's, it has a strategy. And the strategy is to show you the futility of life under the sun. So if you'd read with me and open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 1. We'll cover verses 1 through 11 today. 1 through 11. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all his toil, by which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and round the wind goes, and on its circuit the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. And to the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things, yet to be among those who come after. There is a famous play written by Samuel Beckett named Breath, and the play opens by the curtains opening up and the scene that is laid before you is a garbage heap 
on the stage, on center stage. And then through the loudspeaker, there's a cry, an infant's cry. And as the infant cries, just a faint two-second cry, a light comes on and shines light on the garbage heap in the middle of the stage. And you hear a breath. And you hear some muddling noises in the background. And then the light, light begins to fade slowly. Fades slowly. And at the 30 second mark, you hear an exhale. And then the light goes out. And the curtains close. Samuel Beckett's point in that play is that's life, and that's what it amounts to. It begins with a cry, it ends in an exhale, and it amounts to nothing. Garbage. And that forces you to feel very insignificant. And while Beckett himself, I don't believe, was a Christian, I think that picture kind of helps you see what Ecclesiastes 1 is doing. Ecclesiastes 1 is forcing you to feel insignificant and wants you to feel the indifference of nature. And it wants you to come to grips with your certain and impending death and to realize that you will be forgotten one day. And that the sand, sands of time will cover over you and you will be as if you never existed on the earth before. That's what Ecclesiastes 1 is trying to do. Um, and in doing so, it wants to save you from a life, the short life spent on earth, where all your effort was geared towards what is passing away. It's trying to save you from your life amounting to garbage by showing you the futility of all of your efforts being geared towards what is transient and fading. So who wrote Ecclesiastes exactly? There is a massive amount of debate on this. Um, and... Uh, you see right there in verse 1, it's kind of enigmatic. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Where Well, preacher means koheleth in Hebrew. Or koheleth means preacher or teacher. It just means somebody who gathers a group to teach them. But he identifies himself as the son of David, king in Jerusalem. The son of David literally was Solomon. And I think throughout Ecclesiastes, at least for me, although this is greatly debated, it seems to me like this is supposed to be the voice of Solomon. Um, we read it in verse 16 of chapter 1, that this man acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were in Jerusalem before. And we also see that this man accumulated great wealth surpassing everyone who is before. Listen to this. 
uh, chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. He says, um, I have made great works. I have built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I have made myself gardens and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I brought male and female slaves, and I had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions and herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and concubines, and the, the delight of the sons of men. So. This sounds like Solomon to me. And I don't think anyone after Solomon could say, I, I amass more wealth than anyone who came before me. So I think this is a picture of Solomon um, looking back over his life of apostasy. And this is why Ecclesiastes does give me some hope for Solomon's spiritual state. Perhaps looking back over his life of apostasy in regret and repentance. What is the main message of Ecclesiastes? That's verse 2. Vanity of vanities. The vanity of life under the sun is the teacher's the Koheleth's message to you. The word vanity in Hebrew is hevel, and it means breath, vapor, or smoke. And it's supposed to have a figurative meaning. It means something you can't grasp. You ever, you ever try to grasp fog or smoke? It's, it's fleeting. It's ephemeral. It's there and then it just vanishes. It fades away. It's a mist that vanishes at dawn. What is your life? James asks. James 4.14 For your life is a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That is what vanity is. It's a vapor. And therefore, there's a, an emptiness to life. An elusiveness to life that you can't grasp. Children, if you're under 13 years old, or 13 or under, I'm speaking to you right now. There's a few of you here. I want you to know that life speeds up when you get older. Right now, years seem to be, the days seem so long, the years seem so long. But when you get to your 30s especially, well, that's all I got, Gary. I can't go further. <laughs> if you're as old as Gary, <laughs> but Life is going to speed up, and I, I, I know your parents tell you this, um, but we want you to know that it is not, not too far away until you're a middle-aged man or woman. 
looking back on a young life. Life will speed up very, very quickly as you get older. So, here's the, here's the vanity of it all. We live under the delusion in our lives that our lives are not vanishing, that our lives are not a vapor. We live under the delusion that our lives are, are, are about to arrive at a crescendo, that we're always moving upwards, and that for which we hoped is just beyond our grasp, and we're almost there in the pursuit of happiness. And so we have anti-aging, marketing, we have self-improvement, podcasts and books, we have other kinds of commercials and marketings that are communicating that you just kind of have to ignore what's happening to your body because your best life is almost there. Your life is on a crescendo. One of the most haunting concepts I've come across in the past two years, maybe I've shared this with you before, is called Deferred Happiness Syndrome. Deferred Happiness Syndrome is the common feeling that your life hasn't begun. That your present reality is a mere prelude to some idyllic future. This Ideal, ideal is a mirage that will fade as you approach old age, revealing that the prelude you rushed through was in fact the one to your death. Everyone feels as, as if their life is almost about to crescendo. There are ups and downs in life, of course. And there are matters of success and joy. But this, this feeling that our life hasn't begun yet, and that there's some ideal under the sun, that is, that is an illusion. I think it was one beetle who said, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. That is true. And so Ecclesiastes wants you to feel the vanity, the, the vaporousness of life, that it is fleeting and passing away. That's the strategy of Ecclesiastes. Its, its strategy is to undercut your false hopes and your false dreams so as to save you from a life of futility. It wants to show you the, the foolishness of the pursuit of quote-unquote happiness so that you trade it in for a life where you pursue God and godliness. Because life under the sun has some value. But God and godliness has value both in this age and the age to come. So, here's the question that Koheleth frames all this around. He says, what do we gain by all our toil under the sun? What do you gain? What's left over? What's, what, what's the legacy you left? 
or you can leave. What, what do you gain by all your toil under the sun? Verse 3. Well, a, a Kohalif wants to show you that you will, your efforts will result in no lasting significance. That's what you'll gain from all your toil. No lasting significance. Look at verses 4 through 6. What do you gain? A generation comes and goes. But the earth remains forever. The earth remains unchanged by all your efforts, in other words. And this just corresponds with the way the universe actually is. Verse 5. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and round the wind goes, and on its circuit the winds return. So a generation comes, a generation goes, and the earth has not been changed. And nature, that's going to continue the way it always was before. Wind is still going to blow when you die. You look out, and it is almost that you feel what atheist scientist Richard Dawkins famously said. That the universe is nothing but blind, pitiless indifference to your existence. So after all your laboring, all your work, all your dreams, we will die. And another generation is going to come and go after we die. And the whole world will continue as it was before. And you will have left no legacy. And there will be no... You will probably have no significance to show that you ever existed in 200 years. That's the first thing Kohelet wants you to know. Not only will you your life be insignificant in the long run, but your name will be forgotten. Verse 11. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be anything of later things yet to be among those who come after. I have had great-grandparents. We all have. And I do not know one of my great-grandparents' names. Think of it. Do you know your great-grandparents' names? Or what about your great-great-grandparents' names? Probably not. But you know what? They lived. And they lived with emotions and thoughts and dreams. And they raised children and they had jobs and they worked hard and they cried and they laughed and they loved, and there was joy, and there was sadness, and now they're gone. All of that is gone. And there have been billions of other peoples with passions and dreams, and you don't know their names. Out of all the people, all of the billions of people that have ever lived, we are the only ones who are still alive. That is mind-boggling to me. 
the, right now, 2023 is our time to live. Just like it was other people's time to live in the 1850s. This is our time. And then this time will pass. And this will be among the times that have passed. <laughs> that is... It's just... It is so, it's not only sobering, but it's hard to wrap your mind around because you've never had the experience of not living. So, your names are going to be forgotten. One day, you know, I've told you about this great graveyard in Wordsboro, down at the Bashwick Hill. You have to walk there about a half mile into the woods, deep into the woods, and there's an old graveyard broken down, just forgotten by by humanity. It is so romantic. I love this graveyard. Um, trees are growing up and, and it's covered. It's just deep in the woods. And there are graves there from the 1700s. Moses Brown is one of the names. Moses Brown lived from the 1780s and died in the 1860s. That's amazing. But you know, many of those tombstones, you can't read their names. Even their tombstones have forgotten that they existed. That's an amazing event. So you will be forgotten, and I will be forgotten. Further, not only will you not leave a legacy, probably, not only will you probably not be remembered, but also all of your toil will probably not even satisfy you. Verses 7 through 8. All the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Streams run into the ocean. Water evaporates, creates sun clouds, clouds rain, and the streams run back into the same ocean. It's almost as if the ocean's never satisfied. And evaporation keeps working to satisfy it, but it never is. Same thing with life, he's saying. Um, there's always going to be the next thing in life. And I know if you're, if you're close to middle age, you've experienced this. Um, there's always going to be a house that you desire. There's always going to be a promotion that you want to attain. There's always going to be more money and as one great rapper from the 90s said more problems <laughs> intellectually there's no concept there's there's emotionally there's no drug that will ultimately satisfy you see there's something about humans that just food is a great analogy I ate last night, and I'm hungry. It's 
So it's amazing, and that has always happened to me. It's never <laughs> right. It's we're never satisfied. So what do we gain from our best efforts? Let's summarize that. What do we gain from from all the toil that with which you toil under the sun? Well, you'll never be satisfied. You'll never leave a lasting impression on the world, and your names will be forgotten. And 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 the only thing that will exist of you in a hundred years is maybe your picture on some lonely corner of the internet, which no one frequents anymore. That's all that we'll have. So, I'm trying to make you sad. What are you laughing at? <laughs> so, you know, it's almost, it's awkward to think about, too. And I think that's part of the reason. It's almost like all you can do is laugh. Atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell said that the only honest stance before our cold and indifferent universe is despair. That's the only honest posture. He says, no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. Wow. All the labors of the ages all the devotion and inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the death of our solar system. And the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. Only, he says, on the firm foundation of an unyielding despair can the soul's habitation be safely built? <laughs> wow. All we have is a few vain years under the sun. And all our toil under the sun will leave no lasting legacy. So what is the Christian response to this? Three things, three responses to this reality. Number one, Bertrand Russell has a very real point. We don't want to shine up our lives and ignore reality. Um, all of our hard work, it is devoid of ultimacy. You know what I mean? It's not going to lead to ultimate things. And then we will die. And that's the reality of a fallen world. Here's, here's, and this is the way God intends it to be. As Christians, we should understand that. Being saved doesn't mean enjoying life forever under the sun. Here's what Romans 8, verses 20 through 21 says. For the creation was subjected to futility. I think I have that up there, Gary. Do I have Romans 8 up there? Or could you put it up there? 
the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That word futility in the Greek is the same word that the Septuagint uses to translate hevel or vanity. And so God, this is, we should know this. Ecclesiastes shouldn't shock us. God has consigned this world to emptiness and vanity. And he will not, he did not allow a fallen world to perpetuate forever. That's what we mean by a fallen world. He subjected it to futility. You don't have to turn there, but here's what he says in Genesis 3. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field, and by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. Now that almost sounds like it could be in Ecclesiastes. But it's a reality that God has cursed the ground and did not allow sin in the world and will not allow sin in the world to, to live on forever. He subjected, therefore, this life to futility, to an emptiness. And we were created for more than that. But since we're in a fallen world, there will be emptiness. And yet, we have a hopeful God. That's very interesting. He says that... He subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from bondage. So he would not allow fallenness to perpetuate, but he promises a new heaven and a new earth, wherein righteousness dwells. So here we, brothers and sisters, please, congregation, please feel this. Here we have no lasting city. Life under the sun is ultimately futile and vain. And so we don't want to, and please don't, place all of your hope and your dreams on pursuing happiness under the sun and working for the food that perishes so did you know if there's the word under the sun the phrase under the sun in Ecclesiastes is, is, is spoken over 30 times under the sun now if there's an under the sun there's an, uh, figuratively speaking, above the sun. 
<clears throat> so again, I say Ecclesiastes' strategy is to help you realize the futility of placing all of your hopes and your dreams and your toil in attempting to achieve ultimacy in a life under the sun that is vanished, that will vanish someday. This, I mean, did not Jesus speak about this many times? The rich fool built barns for himself and had treasures and God said to him, fool, Tonight your life is required of you. And Jesus' point, he says, was, so it is the man who is rich in the world and is not rich towards God. So that's the main point of Ecclesiastes, and we'll be moving through it. But also, too, know that because of Christ, Christ is the one who will bring us, he makes all things new, as we said. Not only did he die for your sin, but now if you are in Christ, you are in a realm of meaning. Now there's a realm of meaningfulness where you also can escape the corruption and emptiness and purposelessness of toil for that which is passing away. Now you can toil for that which is eternal. Paul says, know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain, and therefore contend for the faith delivered to the saints. Nydia mentioned a good example last night. I was talking to her about this, and she said, the China Inland Mission Society, um, created by Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary, was started in the 1800s, it's still here today. There's a legacy. But it's not a legacy of one under the sun. It's an eternal kind of legacy. It's not working for food that perishes. It's being rich towards God. There's a famous poem by C.T. Studd. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So please build on Christ's work, congregation. Not with what perishes, wood and hay and stubble, but with that is, which is precious and costly to you, because that's going to be fit for eternity. So How are you laboring for the Lord with your money? What about your children? How do we labor for the Lord with our children? We want to create memories for them. We want to set them on a good trajectory in life. But are we speaking and modeling divine and ultimate things to them? Is that our main effort? What about this church? What are we trying to do here? I, I've always had the sense that we are trying to build a legacy church. 
Who knows if the Lord will give that to us or not? I don't know. Maybe not. It's His will. You know? But, I, I think what we can do as members of this church is try to build a foundation so that as the secular world starts to crowd around the Hudson Valley and buildings go up and people move in, um, we can actually turn around in 20 years and there is a solid biblical church in this area that is strong on the gospel with elders who are wise and humble and deacons who are serving and families who are built up where a cross is high in the sky with a big sign on the road that says Christ is Lord. That's the kind of thing I want. So you, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So if, it's, if it's a labor for the Lord, the promise is, the problem rather, is that as Christians, we could labor for things that are not in the Lord. So, be a mist that glorifies God before it has vanished. Now, last, I want to speak to you who are a doubter. And maybe, I can't see everyone out there. I assume everyone is a believer in Christ here, but there may be some of you who aren't. And there may be some of you who are struggling with, you know, believing God's revelation. Maybe you're dealing with raw realities in life as well, and you've always had these existential questions. Um... Here's your choice. Nihilism or trust? That's your, those are your options. Nihilism, meaning life is meaninglessness, meaningless and absurd. We will die. We will be forgotten. And it is our life does amount to Beckett's breath. Or trust. You could trust in Jesus Christ who promised you that he goes to prepare, prepare a place for you. You could trust in Jesus Christ that through faith he has united you to his life. So he, so here's the, the Bible doesn't feel, nor does God feel the need to anxiously convince you he gives you a rope to climb out of the bog of despair. And you could climb out of that bog with the rope, or you could hang yourself with the rope. The choice is yours. Here's a quote from uh, one writer who is speaking about these things. He says, here is our situation in, related, in relation to the gospel. It is a message that concerns our, get this, our infinite happiness and the everlasting good of the world. The gospel claims that our world has an author, a demeaning, and a struggle, and a hope. If anything ever deserved to be longed for, it is this. 
If anything was ever important, it is this. Now, are you almost convinced? Would you give anything, as would I, for that to be true? Then believe. And give yourself to that belief as you would give your heart to the one you love. And it is only in that posture that you will find certainty. And you will find yourself. Only in that posture. There is hope above the sun. So let's not place all our toil and life under the sun. Let's close in a word of prayer.